Welcome to the Virtual Staff Room, a podcast made for teachers by teachers and all with a dash of educational technology thrown in. My name is Joachim Cohen, your host, an edtech lover, a former secondary school teacher, and I'm lucky enough today to be joined by two other members of a technology for learning team. Thanks for coming back, Yvette and Linda. Yvette is our resident English teacher as well as our author in residence. Yvette, did I hear you ran an exciting e-literacy workshop last week? Yes, indeed. It was Apple Tools for Literacy and Numeracy. Got to give a, th- a shout out to the numeracy people. Oh, I forgot. Numbers. Absolutely. <laughs> Linda is the head honcho of the STEM.T4L program here in New South Wales, is a former school leader and teacher. Linda, what's been happening in your world this week? Um, hey, Joe. Hey, Yvette. Just the usual, you know, our team supporting schools across the state to empower all things in their classroom. Unbelievable. So you're asking what's in store? Well, if you've listened before, you know we've tried to divide this podcast up like your school day. We start the day with assembly where we recount some stories from the week that have made our hearts sing. We make our way to roll call where we sort the wheat from the chaff and highlight some edtech gems. Catch up with a special guest over lunch and I don't want to reveal all but this episode we are going intergalactical. Then we answer your questions in playground duty and wrap it up with something from left field in car park chat. But before we get started, last episode, Linda brought up Desert Island Discs, but we here at the Virtual Staff Room are all about EdTech. So I think we need to add a new segment to our show. Rocket ship robots. What piece of EdTech would you take with you to outer space? Yvette. Okay, just as a caveat from our prior episode, there was a lot of talk about the robot coffee maker. So I think that's a given. We need a barista robot machine of some kind on board. That's definitely on board. But uh, in terms of practicality, uh, I would be taking one of those special treadmills. You know, it doesn't take up that much space, but they're weighted for us astronauts, um, weighted to keep us fit and, and to help build our muscle because you lose muscle or you lose body mass or something major in space. I'm getting reminiscence of our last podcast where you started to make us think about what was it? What were we doing? Marginal gains, Joe. Marginal gains. <laughs> it's all about the biomechanics of space. <laughs> Tell I you love what. how you talked about us astronauts because now you've taken on that as your new role as an astronaut. However, oh, that's where we're going. I am going to go with something really, really simple because I would please just like to take my phone um, and I would really like it to work. But not not for the obvious things, but I was thinking about things even like music. Like I would need to spot to download the entire Spotify catalogue to please have music. Well, look, what layer of the stratosphere does 5G go to? Well, that's what you would need to work on. So that or maybe a 3D printer for all the things I wish I had there that I could then oh, just print. That's a genius <laughs> so idea. what are you taking? Oh, my God. You just had the best idea ever. I want a 3D printer too, but I was thinking and what I wanted to take with me was an e-magazine app. That was what I was thinking. But then I needed the internet as well. So. I'll lend it to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. We are a good team. In our magical rocket ship robot, we have got everything that we need. Well done, everyone. So there is enough frivolity going on. Team, we've got a question for our stargazing special guest, I can tell you. But let's get on. The clock is ticking. The halls are bursting. The principal is about to begin their address. We're running late to assembly. And like real assemblies, it's time to share stories from around the traps. Global, local, intergalactical that inspire with creative and awesome use of tech. Linda, we're going to start with you. 
So over the last couple of weeks, I've seen a lot of school murals coming out. There's even a bit of a hashtag started murals of DOE. And I really love that idea of, you know, a bit of paint, a bit of amazing artwork makes a real difference to the environment. Blacktown Girls High School has done a great one on their diverse cultures in their school. Old Guildford seemed to have a ton going in. And my own personal fave is Nurema Public School, which has a new beautiful mural installed. But when we look at the tech involved there, so Joseph Banks High School has put a new range of murals in and they have a bit of AR built into it. So they are interactive murals. And it kind of got me thinking, you know, there's no stop point to where we could finish here. You know, I think you could have learning embedded in these artworks in all sorts of ways. So I'm just really keen to see where that might go. Now, Linda, AR is augmented reality, is that right? And so when someone comes up with a phone, it's actually triggered by the yes. image? Yes, yep. Wow. So there are so many possibilities there for the community, for learners, and you can change it, can't you, so that... Wow, the lesson could change. And that's where my thinking every time I thought about this whole piece of work with murals is that there is so much that you could do, so much potential to include learning and that community piece and all sorts of things in there. So I'm keen to just see what other schools might do. Linda, would that work, say, if you you're producing or publishing a creative writing anthology and you've got students to maybe illustrate their character or a main, you know, fun character from their story... Could that be put into AR and then the students have a different experience of a character or understanding a character in its environment? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just thinking. Wow. Next project. Unbelievable. Yvette, what did you find out this week? Uh, Look, I've been uh, watching and listening to a lot of TED Talks while also tending to my brand new veggie patch and I found a very, very cool talk from TED Talks Daily about tomatoes and it is called A Tale of Two Tomatoes and it's about big data and understanding produce but uh, also the real-life practical applications of science uh, to help us improve the environment, to be more sustainable and this is just a great little story. I think it only goes for about 20 minutes of a scientist who uses uh, uh, uses big data to actually travel along the life of a tomato that has been hothoused, frozen, reblasted, travelled across the country. It's an American um, episode, so, you know, travelling really big distances versus, you know, your paddock-to-plate kind of experience, but also looking at other examples like wastewater and using robots to travel and track where wastewater and how long it goes and how far it flows and how we can make you know, maybe make improvements to to our environment. So it's a really nice little story, this yeah, one. Yeah, I think that's a great hook for learning as well, is to give students, that's what all great teachers do, right? They use an authentic example of why they need this knowledge yeah. so they can see the purpose of that in their future. Um, could it be shared with kids, this Oh, definitely. I think it would really um, give you that real-life scenario that it's tangible for the students, that they could actually see why it's useful. I was amazed because, you know, when I watched the video as well and I saw that they were green when they were picked and Mm. then in the truck they're actually making it go red. They're actually ripening it. Unbelievable of the application of technology in every sector, including agriculture. But what was fascinating was how the taste was so different. You know, obviously it may look fabulous on on the plate or in in the supermarket, but what you're missing is the real nourishment and the nutrients. So, yeah, it really made me think. And then I casually looked out to my veggie patch outside, which is about three metres away. But, yeah, these guys are going to be tasty. Absolutely. (laughs) What have you found, Joe? 
What have I found? Well, I, I did a bit of global searching this time. I came across a, an article and it was all about what the Indiana, 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 uh, Indiana school district over in the United States of America be doing to try and help their students stay connected uh, during this time of home learning. And what they've actually done is repurposed those big yellow school buses that you see in all the American films and American sitcoms. And they've parked them at various different locations around the suburbs so that if students who don't have access to the internet, these buses are like Wi-Fi hotspots. So the kids can socially distance. It might be parked near a park. They can go up with their computer and they can actually log on to the internet and connect with their learning no matter where they are. So there's a lot of disadvantage in lots of different communities and this is a way in which you can reverse that disadvantage and ensure equity with some out-of-the-box thinking. So I think it's great. My, my passion for it is that people are thinking differently. What's something that's not being used and how can we use it to um, do something cool and do something better? Mm, it's, they're such iconic vehicles too. Um, I, I think this is where we're at. I mean, particularly as, as you know, England and America return partially to school at school, the vast majority of them are still learning from home. So it's about that creativity and, and equity as well. Uh, well. Like those tomatoes, we're going to get way too ripe if we stay here any longer. I think it's about time for the bell to ring. So team, here we are at roll call. You know, I always love this part of the day, catching up, checking in, the perfect chance to get across everything that's going on across the school. Now, that is exactly what we're going to do, but our focus is professional learning and awesome resources. Yvette, what awesome resource have you discovered this week or amazing PL have you enrolled in? Uh, look, this is uh, some fantastic stuff that came out a few months ago to uh, remember and commemorate and understand the eight days in Kamehameha Endeavour, uh, first contact with Aboriginal people. Um, it, it's it's an incredible resource called Endeavour Eight Days in Kamei, Kamei being Botany Bay. Uh, and essentially um, it's a wonderful series of resources created by the department, which are partially done in VR. You can do virtual reality tours of the sites that uh, are being unpacked. Um, it's, it's about understanding the two narratives of the story um, from either the perspective of a British sailor in April 1770 embarking out on their journey uh, and also from the perspective of the people of Kamei and um, their reaction to, the, you know, the, the fleet coming in. So if, if you really are unpacking these ideas in the classroom, this is a great place to start. And unfortunately, COVID happened and, you know, the announcements sort of got a little bit lost. So I really want to just direct people back to this fantastic free group of resources. Uh, I was um, I was taking a, a bit of a look over the weekend uh, and it really, you know, kind of shocked me almost to start to read those two perspectives. Uh, I hadn't really delved into them much before and um, I found those stories so rich and you know, putting yourself in the in the in the shoes, literally, of of those both those different characters and how they saw the experiences at that time was so powerful. And what a really amazing way to cover this topic with students uh, in the classroom. Uh, I was blown away by this resource event. A yep. great find. I think it's great for any age, and I, I think we should be really proud that we've created this fantastic bunch of resources. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. So these are New South Wales Department of Education resources. Unbelievable. Oh, fantastic. Now, I suppose mine's a little bit on the other end of that at that spectrum. I've gone and done uh, looked for a little bit of research, which has helped to inform my practice. And I found some work done by the Natural Literacy Trust uh, over in the UK. And I actually heard about it on the radio, funnily enough. Uh, but um, I went and investigated it. They'd done some research into video game playing and literacy. And they'd interviewed uh, around about 4,000 people, or there'd been a program that had interviewed 4,000 people between 11 to 16 and they came back with some really interesting statistics about the power of video games in building literacy skills because we often find young people are really reticent to talk. Like what are they developing if they're they're online playing games? Yeah, it's a great question. So it's it's more or less what's associated with playing the game. So if they're playing the game and then they might need to help someone with a, a, a tip on how they might problem solve a problem they're having or how they might get to the next level or they might be writing a review of that video game online uh, or they're just chatting to their friends about what they actually did inside that video game. That's actually the use of writing which they don't do and the use of connection with other people which a lot of times, especially, um, you know, I I think from my experience a lot of boys struggle to write and talk about uh, these types of, of things between each other and this is actually providing that opportunity for them. And it also is about storytelling. You know, we know games are like a narrative. You've got to get from the start to the finish and all the best video games start with a narrative of some kind and we see Harry Potter, it's been turned into a video game. So many books and so many videos have actually started in books. So I found this really, really awesome and it's a, a great um, power-up for a lot of us in the classroom when we think about things like Minecraft. We often get asked the question, well, isn't that just a game? And you know, those Minecraft books are always at the top of the charts. You know, there's a lot to say there about, yes, understanding the narrative, but the hook that's really drawing those students in and the the gamers um, and and the conversation that is flowing from that. So maybe I need to check out, I think it's called Diary of a Minecraft Zombie. I'll put those in the show notes. Yeah, that is the book. And can I tell you, Joe? you know, this is a bit of a passion project of mine on the side as well. The UK does exceptional survey, exceptional longitudinal studies. Um, They've got one called Five Big Questions Out for All Kids Under Five for Their Parents at the moment. So I'm really interested to see this research um, myself. But I think all of those pros can exist but we have to be aware of the cons on the other side we know that boys in particular get very engaged slash obsessed with gaming very quickly and we know that we need to make sure in a school setting that what they're doing is adding value to their learning and it's not a game experience only with no learning outcomes because when we look at things like mental health we look at eye health we look at neurological pathways all of those things need to be front of mind when we look at particularly boys and gaming for me. Yeah, I can totally see your perspective perspective there, Linda. Yeah, that's for sure. So a resource that I found on a lighter note is Life Launcher. It's um, done by the New South Wales government, but it's a it's designed for young people to kind of explore what careers they might like to go into. Um, even though I probably don't fall into the category of a young person, I did the quiz myself um, and it kind of guides you through some personality and some and kind of your work ethic and I suppose what your interests are and then it guides you through some careers that you might explore. But the thing that I really like about this, it's not a one-off quiz that you do and it gives you an answer and it's over. You know, this, you create an um, account and you can have your own profile and you can keep going back and updating the skills you have or the skills you've explored um really interesting and you might want to jump in and have a look at what where you might end up I can tell you I didn't 
do it entirely accurate because I kind of was trying to, you know, put it in what I think I wanted to say at the end. Yeah, yeah preempting yourself. So what what age is this falling? Uh, it it says between your uh, year nine and twelve, but it also talks about young people to do after they've left school mm-hmm. as well. Oh, I did it. Did you do it? What are you doing with your well, future, Joe? I, I, well, you see, I did you know, I was being really, really honest and it came out that I should be a primary teacher. Oh, <laughs> oh the best career in the world. Yes. That's incredible. Yes. So I have to go back and be a primary teacher. I can tell you it was very exciting to do that. I love this tool. Yeah, that's a very, very cool very tool. Clever. And it's kind of been released just a little bit on the quiet. Just seemed to pop out of nowhere. Perfect. Also perfect for any Year 12 student heading into that. Uh, People, might help. <laughs> I'm sorry, our tomatoes are about to go rotten. But thankfully we've made it to lunch before they did. It is lunchtime, but it's not all Dunkaroos and Vegemite sandwiches here at the virtual staff room. And now, Yvette and Linda, if we were on the International Space Station, can you tell me what do you think we'd be dining out on? Joe, it's not so much what we'd be dining on, it's what's happening out there in the galaxies. Um, It's more a question of what do black holes eat for dinner. It's more a question of cannibals in space and I think we know just the right person to talk to about these things. I think we do. I think it's time to bring on our special guest, astrophysicist Professor Lisa Harvey-Smith. Wow, where do we start? There are just so many things that you're involved in. Uh, But first of all, I'm going to start with your true love, as an astrophysicist, were you always in love with stars in the universe? Yeah, I think I was from a quite a young age, I think. Um, I grew up somewhere fairly dark, so the stars weren't really that um, difficult to see where I, where I lived. So I think I was about 12 when I first looked up at the stars and, uh, you know, fell in love. It was, it was love at first sight, I think. It was just so beautiful and I, I was kind of captured by not only the science, but the experience of just looking up. So um, it was great. I became a amateur astronomer um, at that age, joined my local astronomical society and, and just never looked back. It's, um, it's a lifetime love affair for me. Wow. That's, you know, the, the kind of passion that I think we hope every one of our students takes with them into their future career. And thinking about your career, you wear so many different hats. We've got your book here in the studio. I'm sure you do some amazing work as an astrophysicist as well. Can you tell us what does your typical day look like? Well, my current role is um, Australian Government's Women in STEM Ambassador. So I'm really trying to get um, more girls and women into great STEM jobs um, and to get the kind of exciting careers that that I've been fortunate to have. So at the moment, you know, doing a lot of work, um, writing a new book, promoting my old book, but but really my day job, it's um, a lot of work with with the government and um, with teachers and with young people to try and get really get people really excited about STEM and understand that STEM is more than just boring experiments um, and people wearing lab coats and laboratories. Um, and it's about the great outdoors and it's about farming. It's about mining, creating solar power, creating things that help animals, um, healthcare, so, so many things. Um, and, you know, tomorrow I've got a meeting of the advisory group to the Australian Space Agency, which is a new exciting project that's going on to try and get Australia helping NASA to put the first woman on the moon. Um, so there's just so much that's going mm-hmm. on. Gosh, I don't think I don't think, Lisa, there's many people that can say that's on their list for tomorrow. <laughs> that sounds so exciting. Can I ask technology and astrophysics? Are we talking telescopes and supercomputers? 
Yeah, we're talking a lot, lot, lot of that stuff in, um, I guess, in pro- professional astronomy. Uh, I've, in my career, I've um, helped to design some of the and, and create some of the big telescopes that we have um, in Australia and in the world. And that's really exciting to help to create those new technologies um, with very clever um, engineers who are working on it too and trying to create something that can see things that no human being has ever been able to see before. To see a star that's exploded in a distant galaxy two or three billion light years away. And we're looking at things that happened, their signals have traveled to us so far through space that they happened billions of years ago before the dinosaurs roamed the earth. So that kind of stuff is really fun, creating those technologies and helping other astronomers as well as myself to study those amazing things. And I think um, in terms of amateur astronomy, we're, we're thinking about you know regular people who want to just get up and look at the stars. Um, telescopes are cool, binoculars are cool, but also apps are really good. So you know people can download apps of the night sky and they can hold their smartphone up to the sky and see where the planets and the stars are. Um, at the moment, you can see the moon and Jupiter and Saturn high up in the sky. And, um, you know, it's really, really cool that you can see those things without a telescope. And I think if more people had a star app on their phone, they'd be constantly getting those notifications and running out to see the space station and that kind of stuff. Um, it's really good fun. Incredible. Uh, I think the other thing that's really going to pull people out to look at the sky is your new book, The Secret Life of Stars. Um, I've started this book, Lisa, and I just love how you've looked at the solar system, the star system, the galaxies, the bodies in the in the universe as personalities in their own right. And I think that really comes across as somebody who um, is a casual science reader. I really uh, understood what you were saying, particularly, you know, you start off with the sun and how important those kinds of stars are. Um, who is this book for? Well, I, I, I'm really glad you said that because I, I wanted to write, I've written books before and um, a lot of people who go and look in the science section in the bookshop, uh, you know, people already interested in science and they know they want a science book and they go and look for a book about the stars and that, that's really cool. But this book, I wanted it to be really exciting and understandable um, to people who didn't normally go down that science route and maybe hadn't studied science or had left it at school, left it behind, um, and maybe wouldn't go down the science aisle in a bookshop. So I wanted it to be really capturing that excitement about the fact that um, our universe is full of wacky personalities. Every star is different. If we look at them in the night sky, they kind of look like points of light. They're, they're not too distinguishable. But in, in the secret life of stars, you really see their, their amazing personality shining through from, from the cannibals to the enigmas to the exploding stars. The, the thing, I love the cannibals, the binary star systems that eat up into each other's orbits. Uh, that was just, I couldn't even imagine what that sound, what that would look like, but you really, um, I didn't even know that that sort of happened in the universe. So, um, I, yeah, I'm really recommending this for anybody who loves the stars or wants to know a little bit more. It's on the list. Can I ask, you know, there's a huge gap between the number of women and men choosing to pursue a STEM career. And I know some of your work is very heavily involved in this. What do you think is at the core and what can we do to kind of solve this gap? Well, there's a lot to it. It's not a simple problem. Um, it really st- 
stems from the fact that for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, our kind of culture has been a, a patriarch patriarchal one. So um, men generally went out to work um, and women stayed at home and didn't work. And we are only just in the last sort of 100 years getting over that maybe really only in the last 50 years, um, you know, breaking that cycle. So we have changed as a society, um, but some things are catching up. The systems that we've created um, and the stereotypes that still linger about work and who does what type of work in society um, are still kind of lingering with us. So we, we just have to change society gradually and, and show people that um, there are not male jobs and female jobs. Um, we have to break down that um, sort of gender stereotype about who great scientists are and, and what they look like and where they come from. Um, and we have to tell different stories. We have to tell the stories of the, the great Aboriginal innovations, you know, like Bruce um, Pascoe's fantastic book, Dark Emu, did. And we have to tell the stories of, of great uh, women scientists uh, and scientists from different cultures and backgrounds and not just the kind of Isaac Newton, uh, Einstein, you know, this kind of old white dudes. Um, and, you know, that, that's what I try and do in my books and that's what I try and do in my sort of public speaking because it, it's so easy to just repeat the same old stories. And, in fact, there are far more exciting stories if you just dig a little deeper, like, um, you know, the Australian space companies, um, like Fleet Technologies, which are creating amazing fleets of satellites going up um, into space to create um, really fast internet connectivity that can help us to create smart farms that use less water and, and are safer and more efficient. And that company is run by a woman. And who doesn't want to hear that kind of story? Um, and these are stories that teachers can tell. And these are stories we can tell um, as students and, and children as well. I think it's really important that we do that. Lisa, on top of you being the rep that you are and being an ambassador for all things STEM and working with other women in STEM to tell their stories and making those connections for the students, um, what do you think is, is ahead in terms of... Um, you know, the, the advice we can give for our teachers to really support that that identification with strong women in STEM leaders and, and where do, you know, what do you think could happen at a school level? What needs to happen? I think um, there is some great resources out there, um, firstly. Um, and, we, and we have to think, uh, teachers have to really think um, there, is, there is a problem if their physics classes, if their chemistry classes, if maths, um, electives are, f are full of young men um, and young women are not seeing themselves as a, a path into that. And I'm sure all teachers are very aware of that and trying really hard to change it. It's not an easy thing to change. Um, but there are some great resources. Um, there's the, the STEM Women database, um, stemwomen.org.au, which is a, a free website. You just, you just go on there and there are hundreds of uh, women in STEM who have signed up um, to be role models. Uh, there are their stories online. They, they have contact details so they, you can actually search for local women in STEM to visit your school. Um, there are great websites like the Girls in STEM Toolkit that's been created by the federal government. Um, and that is a really fantastic resource. It's got, again, posters and stories and videos and quizzes um, for young women to, to see 
the kind of really, really exciting and, and diverse things that you can do with STEM. Um, my office, the Office of the Women in STEM Ambassador, is running um, a federal government initiative um, for raising awareness about STEM careers as well. That'll be coming out in a month or two. Um, and this is to get young people to really understand that the STEM is so much more than, than test tubes and going to university and getting a degree. You know, you can go through the vet route. Um, you can go go into trades, you can go into nursing. We're trying to break down those cultural and stere gender stereotypes too. Oh. So, so what teachers yeah, what teachers can do is, is there's so much, there's a lot of resources out there, but it really starts with that understanding that it's not good enough, um, that young women um, don't see themselves as, as welcome in STEM and that they don't see that they belong. Yes, and oh, I think you've driven that that message home. We've got such a, a lot of unconscious bias that we may even, you know, put onto our students as teachers sometimes when we're thinking about the careers they might like to go into. And I think you've highlighted how exciting a STEM career can be and all the problems that people could actually solve if they take them down the pathway of a STEM career. And that probably connects into what our young people are extremely passionate about. And, you know, I was going to ask you, um, Professor, Elisa, about some of your cool tips for resources, but I think you've given them to us already, which is amazing, but you're not going anywhere because we play a game on this podcast. Now, you, okay. It is. It's a bit exciting. Not, you might have heard of... I'm very, very excited. Okay. It's right up your alley, I can tell you, because um, we might, if we were on over in the UK, we might be playing Desert Island Discs, but no. Here on the virtual staff room, we play rocket ship robots and what you need to tell us is if you were going into outer space what piece of technology would you take with you oh no only one piece you can only take one what would it be you, you, you really hope it's not your phone. You really yes. do. <laughs> would it work? That's, that's the tragic, question. That's a tragic answer. It wouldn't work, would it, because of the, the, there's no towers. I, I, think, I think it would have to be a running machine. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. A running machine with Thank me. you so much, Lisa. Oh. I can't tell you how much I love that response. <laughs> <laughs> because I had a very similar thought. <laughs> so that that's awesome. But we had talked about internet and, you know, all the things we really would miss. So, Absolutely. yeah, we put you on the spot there. Sorry. <laughs> oh, and you have been an inspiration, though. We really mm -hmm. appreciate it. You've inspired lots of teachers to inspire lots of students out there. And we just want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule, don't we? Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome to it's chat. A pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks a lot. Bye. All the best. Here we go. My sugar levels are low. So I have decided to get a strawberry ice donut in my hand on my way out of the canteen to playground duty. Well, guys, what kind of treat did you used to love back at the old school canteen? I went to a very health nutty primary school that was really into frozen orange quarters. That was the highlight of... Oh, <laughs> isn't that sad? Poor you. Isn't that depressing? Absolutely. <laughs> I wasn't buying chocolates and chips. And I was most so certainly a... Um, a child of the Sunny Boy era. Oh, you know, yeah, the that's good. Tetra pack kind that's of quality. ones. Yep, that was quality. fantastic. Well, there are no mummy noodles here, but we do get the chance to answer some of your questions. Now, we did get some through on social media, and there was a distinct KLA focus. So here we go. I am a history teacher and a geography teacher. How can I incorporate technology into my classroom? Linda, can you help so out? 
I can. I would 100% say don't feel as though the weight's all on you. Don't start from the beginning and try and think of all these extraordinary ideas because your colleagues already have. So I would be saying go to places like the statewide staff rooms, go on to Yammer, see examples of great practice where it adds value to the learning experience and not just as an add-on, but but find ways to move from doing, you know, old things in new ways to new things in new, new ways and just start small but, you know, come up with some original experiences that really are rich to support student learning. Yeah, I really like that idea of tweaking what's already out there. It's fabulous. And I think I'm a little bit along those lines as well, uh, except I wanted to focus in on virtual reality. So I think you can really use that uh, beautifully in the history and geography classroom because it's all about places, it's all about environments. And how can we immerse students in these places and spaces to help improve their understanding and spark their curiosity. So I would jump on and see if you can find a Google expedition and work with that on an iPad or in VR if you can. And then even encourage students to go and create their own using something like Google Tour Creator, where you can actually use Google Street View images to create a virtual reality tour of some great geographic and historically relevant places. Yvette, mm. what did you think? Joe, that really ties into... Um what I was talking about earlier with the Kamei Endeavour project, because there are virtual tours actually as part of this experience. You can go and actually visit the Endeavour ship virtually, which is a tour that um, some people even on our team put together. And it's a wonderful way to experience um, craft at the Maritime Museum. There's also, as I mentioned, you know, there are those location uh, those locations on site that you can go and visit virtually as well, which are, um, which, you know, there's heaps of information and, and geographic tags on that you can go and find out more info. So there's, yeah, I'd be looking at those kinds of resources. And can I loop it out to say that once you find some great things that work in your classroom, go and share it with some of your colleagues as well, whether it's in your school or a nearby school or on one of those more broader pages. Absolutely. That's the best tip ever. And we want to hear your questions as well. So that was a great question. Keep them coming. Email them to us, t4linnovations at det.nsw.edu.au. You can find all the details on our webpage, of course. We want to hear your questions and help you out. We are almost out of time, but we can just squeeze in some time in the car park. Time to chat all the things we've been loving, and I'm so excited that I'm going to start us out today because I'm not travelling anywhere, but the people in Japan are, and they're getting on a virtual airline. Can you believe it? Actually, yes, with Japan, I can. I bet they were doing this anyway when the flights were still happening. I think you're right. I did hear about a flight that took off and then landed at the same airport the other week <laughs> as well. So pretty cool. It is my kind of holiday. I can tell. It'll be a bit like Kath and Kim and just explore the airport and then head out and back again. But this is really cool. It's set up, I think, in a shopping centre and you can head into the shopping centre and you're given the full first class experience. And I totally think that is very exciting. And the thing we need to think about, I just can't figure out how to actually replicate this in the educational technology area, but I am trying really hard. I know you've got really ideas. Hard. I yes. tell you what I liked about it was the Hello Kitty flight you could do. <gasps> it was a Hello Kitty themed <laughs> aeronautical experience with, I don't know, goodness knows what they give you on arrival, some lovely stationery, no doubt, or something. But bet. it was super cute. Um, yeah, it was adorable. And I promised listeners that is the last Aviavionic Are you reference sure? for at least a few days. So we know I'm gonna hand over to you. So I think there might be a few of you that are list makers. I love a list and I used to use an app called Wonderlist that I really enjoyed, but it is no longer there. I couldn't keep the business going on my own, clearly. <laughs> um, there's a new list making app that a very dear friend of mine shared with me. It's called Todoist. And I'm trying to use that to keep all my current to-do lists going. Not going too well, but if you've got a great list making app, 
Yvette or Joe, please share it with me because I'm looking for the perfect one. Okay, I do not. But can you check things off this list? Is yes, that the gratification? Yes, nice little ting. Okay. And you, the other thing it must have, which this does have, is you must better collaborate with someone else. So if I, you and I are working on something, I would like a to do list that we can keep together. Yeah, see how you're operating right now. I do not have such an app and I don't know that I would ever want one on my phone, Linda. I just, I just can't, I can't, that's just too much, too much demand on me to, to think about having to tick off a list. Are you a list maker, Joe? I do have an actual old school <laughs> physical notebook. I love yeah, scribbling things out. I do have that out. too. Yeah, so I'm afraid I'm, I'm not a list maker. I did use Google Keep for a while there. But it doesn't have the lovely ting sound. That might get me in. Yeah, mm. it will. Give it a go. Well, speaking of your neural pathways, Joe, I was really intrigued on a piece which has made me reflect and we were talking earlier about music choices, Linda, uh, going into space and having a Spotify list and we are also talking about gaming and, and the relationship between gaming and, and the way boys in particular think or are able to articulate what they're experiencing. But this is a cool piece in GQ magazine by a guy called Jack Moore and it's about how he wants to go back to listening to music on a basic iPod because he doesn't get any of the other notifications, he doesn't get any other, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, diversions, uh, distractions, um, you know, the tings coming in and he's just harking back to basically how we used to listen to a whole album with songs all in a row and I think there's something in that. I think, you know, the way we are uh, utilising our smartphones are our neural pathways changing now in ways that we can never reverse like I mean it's it goes back to things like even being able to read a book for a long time there I was just only able to read in small chunks but it was an effort to get back into reading it's part of that instant gratification model where that's what we're so used to if a song comes on you don't like the first you know millisecond of it it's over. Yeah. Next one. Give me Moving an on. old school Next. CD player or the radio any day, I say. I love it. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Now, don't tune out. Sit back at those desks. We've got to give you your homework. How did you go? We're doing something for you last week. Make sure you let us know about it. That is for sure. But this week, what we're going to do is take on Linda's theme about augmented reality when she was talking about those murals. And we want you to get exploring and find out about this technology. So all you need to do is open up your Google Chrome browser on your mobile device and do a search for something. Now, I've been searching and I did a search for dragonflies. Ladies, have you done a search for AR in Google before? Have you got something? I have seen it. It's been a hit in my house as well. Oh, wow. Tell me more. What have you been searching? There's been lots of sharks being searched. Amazing. And then you'll find an AR button and you can actually visualise using your phone the whole creature. Unbelievable. Listeners, we want to challenge you to do that, to immerse yourself in AR this week. Yvette and Linda, it has been a pleasure, I can tell you. This podcast has been produced by the masterful Jacob Druce with the assistance and supreme coordination of Heather Thompson as well as many more awesome members of the T4L team. Before we go, please make sure you send us through your comments, your questions for Playground Duty and your thoughts for new guests and segments. And if you like the podcast, give us a rating so more and more educators can find us and be inspired to get a little techie in the classroom. Stay compassionate, everyone. Thanks for joining us.